Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Talk Life with London. I have a really exciting guest today. She is a writer, a public speaker, creator, host of Pop Law Podcast, and vice president of legal and business affairs at Revolt Media and TV. Desiree Talley is an attorney and creative storyteller that meshes street and book smarts to influence culture through law. Before launching her entertainment law firm, Tally Law Group, Desiree held legal roles at BBG Media, Viacom, Pandora, and Turner Entertainment Networks. She has been awarded for her work representing creatives and honored as top 40 under 40 attorneys. Desiree has a powerful voice in the conversation where business, law, and pop culture intersect. And I am so excited for her to be with us today. Hi, Desiree. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to meet you. And you have some really exciting things on the horizon that you've been doing, been working on. But I'm excited for you to share all of that with my audience. Let's get into it. Get into it. You are such an amazing example of combining different passions and skill sets from different industries and intersecting them seamlessly, really. Is entertainment law something you've always had a passion for? Is this something that just was you fell into it? Did somebody open a door for you and you're like, okay, let me walk through this? Tell me, talk to me about this. I've always had a passion for entertainment and law separately. I had no idea how to combine the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved magazines and television growing up. So I was always, you know, watching those or reading those type of publications. And of course, we all love music. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I really was focused on or attracted to watching television or movies was the black women characters who were lawyers on the show. So, you know, of course we all know Claire Huxtable's character, uh, Maxine Shaw attorney at law. And I'm just, this is so cool. I love the power and confidence that they had. Um, Didn't know how to get there. I was the first person in my family to go to college. I don't have any lawyers in my family, didn't know anyone. And so I'm the person with, you know, the highest level of education. So it was really just, figuring it all out. But what I learned how I can become an entertainment lawyer was an episode of my super sweet 16. Okay. There, uh, <laughs> I know that show back in the day. Yeah, You took us back, but I love it. <laughs> yes. There was a man on there and I can't, his name is escaping me at the moment, but um, I recently tried to track him down because I just wanted to tell him what that episode did for me. He um, unfortunately had passed away, but um, he was an entertainment lawyer on that show. And so I got to see all the glitz and glam that he had being an attorney um, representing all these cool people, had this big house and all these celebrities came to his kid's party. And I'm like, all right, this is how I combine it. Entertainment lawyer. And I just hit up Google and figured it all out. That's so cool. And it's it speaks to your work ethic to be able to see something and see it in somebody or see someone else do it and say, I don't really know. I've never really seen this before, but 
I'm going to figure out a way to make sure it happens for myself. So what happened after you Googled and did your research? What, what was next? I was figuring out, okay, how do I get to law school? Um, I was at Hampton University, a public relations major. So I just knew I needed to major in political science just from the research that I did. But I absolutely hated political science. It was so boring. My grades were not doing well. Towards the last um, portion of undergrad, they they had introduced a pre-law program, but I was already in my senior year mm -hmm. or senior year. So it was too late for me to try to start that. And I did not want to be in college more than four years. So I um, switched my major from political science to public relations because it was still in that media entertainment realm. Mm -hmm. I had enough credits to still keep that political science minor. And then again, just that research, I'm like, well, the question I remember Googling, how do you get into law school? <laughs> Most importantly, how do I get into law school? Yeah. Yes, I was just reading a bunch of different articles and then learning of law school names and looking up what their admissions requirements were. So I felt confident that I didn't need to major in political science because mm. you can major in anything. And then I learned about the LSAT. So another standardized test that I needed to take in order to get into school. And so from there, I was reading a bunch of different practice books on how to pass the LSAT because we know sometimes these standardized tests are biased and they are difficult for us a little bit, but that sure. was our goal. Learn the LSAT and how to pass it. Did you take it once and, and you passed that first time or you took it a couple times? I took it twice. So I had a decent score to get into law school, but I wanted a better score so I can have more options. And mm. I was going a little bit back and forth of where I would go to law school. Um, I'm from the Bay, so I thought I wanted to move back home to California and go to school and law school in California. But I just decided maybe I should see what else is out there. You know, I'm young, 20s, home will always be there. And so I decided to move to New York and solely focused on law schools in New York so I can be in another big city that still had an entertainment base, but not at home. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a big city and I'm sure a transition for you. So you went through undergrad, then you went to law school. Talk to me a little bit about the decisions you made post-college that led you to where you are today. Yeah, it, it really started, I'll say, towards my last year in law school. You know, I knew what the next three or four years would look like. But, you know, once you're done with school, it's kind of figuring it all out on your own. What do I do next? And so I remember um, in, in law school, I was going part time and then I transitioned to the full time day program. And I'm like, all right, I need a network, network, network. So that was my number one thing. I was looking up different companies that people worked for that were big in entertainment. I was reading the credits on television shows so I can learn about these companies and who works there. 
I created a LinkedIn account so I could connect with anyone, everyone. And so when you're typically a student, people are more than likely to respond to you or connect with you, uh, you know, not just some stranger off the street. And so right. it was all about networking. And I just was trying to connect with anyone I possibly could to tell them, I'm this young black girl who has a passion in entertainment law. Can I ask you a couple of questions? And so most people were receptive. They told me about their career, how they got to where they are. And so I had a little bit of a framework to um, start my career. Mm -hmm. And so in law school, I, I was joining, again, these different networking um, organizations and going to events. And I met my mentor, who is still my mentor today from True TV, True TV at that time. Um, I got an internship there in entertainment law, working on all the shows, going through the transition from their network, which was a court TV network at the time, to more of a comedy thing. So uh, anything he went to, he let me come. And I just had questions ready and making sure people knew who I was when I got there. Absolutely. And I think networking is such a blanket generalized term that really us as millennials, we hear all the time, but I think there's so much power in how you network and being really strategic about it. Because like you said, it's somebody could see a role or somebody doing something on Instagram or on social or on even on TV. But until you really recognize the, the power players that can actually open up doors for you and connect with them is where, you know, how you are strategic about it. Because a lot of people will see the finished product and think, oh, I need to speak to that person. But really, it's the person, like you said, do your research on the credits or on LinkedIn, and you find out they're actually the producer or the writer. Those are the people you need to be speaking with or, you know, such whatever industry you're in. So I, I think it's really important and powerful that you said that, that you really did your research on who to really connect with. Absolutely. And who's most accessible? You know, you can't yes. just go try to talk to the CEO of Viacom. He is not going to deal with you. But if right. you look at, let's say at that time, um, we'll just take a Jersey Shore, for example, who worked on this show? And obviously I have an interest in um, in law. So I looked at who the business affairs people are, because everyone is listed on the credits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was able to go out and find them and reach out to them on LinkedIn or email them. It's easy to figure out people's work email addresses. So you have to come prepared, short and sweet, not ask for anything. Right. <laughs> right. I always tell people when they speak about networking, I'm like, this is a potluck. <laughs> this is not, this is like you come and bring something. Someone else comes and brings something and we share, you know, like this is not just one size fits all and every, a buffet and everybody takes and eats. So yeah, no, I think that's really important. So you talk about your networking, you've had really amazing opportunities that have opened up with you for you at a variety of media platforms and companies. So your current role, you're a VP at Revolt TV and Media. Talk to me about that. That's first of all, congratulations to be in a C-suite role um, at a really, really large, impactful company. I think that's amazing. And 
I look forward to seeing more black women like you in these type of positions. We need it. <laughs> we do. We, we yeah. all do. And so I am, you know, um, very excited to be at revolt and, and the C-suite, I think you have, you know, additional power there and influence that we typically need. And, and whether it's at a black company or a non-black company, you know, Obviously, our voice, our style, our trends goes across cultures and across age groups. So us being in those spaces is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my role at Revolt before I went there, and, and I've only been there about six months. Okay, it's wow. Six years, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a great time so far. But um, it was really important for me to be able to advance my personal mission in the next role that I took. My Mm. mission is the advancement, education, and protection of Black people. It's important for us to have ownership over our creativity, over any work that we are doing, and and be able to express ourselves authentically. And so that was really important for me wherever I went. Um, I, again, as you said, been in a bunch of media companies, but they all were large and small, but all white companies. Mm-hmm. And while it's okay, I got great structure and foundation and, you know, able to adapt the skills that I've learned in this new role. It's very rewarding to be able to apply everything to um, culturally relevant material and content that is for us and people mm-hmm. listen and, and care. Mm-hmm. And so this role at Revolt it is great. And I'm happy that we are um, disruptive and authentic and strictly hip hop. And did this role, was it already a package deal to also have the podcast and the VP position or through your VP position, you um, pitched the podcast? How did that work? Soul and separate. My role at uh, Revolt was something that was secondary. So Popwall has been in existence since 2017. I'm already doing the podcast to educate us and our people. And so um, it was, again, started. So uh, most people that look like us don't have access to attorneys, don't know what they can do or those resources. So as a free resource to educate people on the law through celebrity lawsuits. And I had before Revolt, about 95 episodes. Uh, While I was on hiatus for a little bit, but as Revolt was building out their podcast network and needed Black women also to join this podcast network because most of our content right now is a male focus. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I had this podcast, Papa, and I'm willing to bring it back. And our uh, execs who started the podcast network, they listened to Popwall and they're like, oh, this is dope. You have to bring it back. So Popwall is back now and it is back with a visual component as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool how you just never know what can happen and what just you taking strides and something you are already knowledgeable about and passionate about and you just put it out there, right? And a lot of times we see something and we 
take a leap of faith and maybe we have to take a break or we have to pause and re-strategize or come back to it. But you never know what can happen in that break or during that time. And it can be even better and bigger than what you first started. So I think it's, I think it's such a cool testament to your story and can also be really inspiring to somebody else. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, you know, was really um, passionate about pop law and I'm so passionate about pop law, but obviously it being a part of the revolt network. Now I have a larger audience to be able to educate our people. And so it's really exciting to be a part of the network. How do you determine which topics you discuss and focus on weekly? I'm sure. I mean, entertainment law, there's so much to talk about, especially in protecting black uh, creativity, the ideas, the everything. So how do you determine, uh, plan and ideate what you are gonna talk about and how you navigate the episodes? Definitely topics that are newsworthy and and topical and, and trendy and related to us. So again, I'm focused on educating our people because a lot of times we get information blast and something that impacts us. But most importantly, the topic has to have long-standing legs and be relevant, not just today, but six months and years down the line. And mm-hmm. so that's really important when I uh, pick the topic as well. So for example, on the relaunch of um of the podcast and the whole podcast network. Pop Law is focusing on the first couple of episodes, the criminalization of hip hop lyrics. Now, while we know that the big topic or artists that are currently facing, um, you know, injunctions or being in jail for their song lyrics is Young Thug and and, um, Gunna, there has been instances and not too long ago when there have been other hip-hop artists who have gone to jail for RICO charges directly related to their song lyrics. So it's not something new. And while the rappers may change in the different types of cases, you still will have these RICO laws coming about. You still will have the issue of it them going to jail, which is an infringement on their copyright and First Amendment freedom of speech protection. And while there are laws in play to prevent the use of song lyrics and to indict rappers, it's still something that they need to be mindful of when they're creating their art. Mm. And so what do you tell somebody that, or an artist that comes to you and says, well, I want to talk about this, but I also (laughs) don't want to incriminate myself especially even if it's something that I've never done or you know maybe it's something I'm connected to what what do you say to an artist that comes to you with that I definitely want them to be authentic and and mindful at the same time that whatever you say unfortunately can be used against you there are laws in place across the country um, in different states. There are laws in place federally to try to protect this. But again, the hip hop police is real. We've all heard about it and they have to be mindful of that. The unfortunate thing is violent type music um, 
It is, it's what sells. And it's something that we all listen to. I listen to it too. In my head, I might be selling drugs on a block. Of course, I'm not doing that. But, you know, I listen to these songs. It gets us all hyped up to go out. And so it mm-hmm. is something to think about and, and talk and take a pause about. But for me, I think rappers are storytellers, just like Walt Disney or anybody else was a storyteller. And so they need to have the same protections as everybody else. Or we have to start criminalizing and policing everything. Right, right. Like, where do you draw the line? <laughs> you know, or where do we, you know, draw the line in the sand? I think, yeah, it's a topic that can be can have lots of legs. <laughs> and that's that's why we have you. <laughs> yeah, we have some incredible guests talking about that. Um, Lorenz Dobson, he's an amazing songwriter and music producer who's produced anywhere from Jay-Z to Nipsey Hussle's records. He's the first guest talking about this. And and we also have a rapper named Jero who gives a contrast to it. He uh, doesn't talk about those type of things in his lyrics, but again, seeing his peers go down, they have pretty great perspectives on the topic at hand. And so I, I love that it, the topic is getting national attention and policy makers are trying to prevent the use of criminal, uh, the song lyrics to indict people, particularly hip hop, because we don't see any of these country artists going to jail for their song lyrics. And sometimes their stuff is more violent than ours about being on the block. Right. It is. Um, do you have a favorite episode, favorite topic, most memorable moment on the show? I know you haven't been doing pop law very long, but I'm sure you've had some some good times so far. Yeah. So one of the upcoming episodes so far is my favorite episode. It's with uh, a singer songwriter named Brittany B. She writes for a bunch of people. We are talking about leverage and contracts and particularly related to music. This topic was inspired by the ongoing saga that we see with uh, Megan Thee Stallion and her record label. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially when an artist is a new artist or it can relate past music, well, when someone enters into a contract, for the terms that they had then when they were less not as famous and then they become famous and they now want to renegotiate their contract. The question is, are the labels or anyone else, the counterparty of that uh, contract required to let them renegotiate now that the position has changed? And so we go into depth about that and we give our opinions. I won't tell you mine yet, but just a little bit. <laughs> a secret, but four corners of the agreement stand. So, you, you know, no one is required to renegotiate because your position changes. Um, to that point, a episode that was previously recorded on um, on Poplaw before we added the video component is with a, another attorney. Her name is Marcy Cleary, and we talk about leverage as well. And in this case with Dave Chappelle, he was able to renegotiate his contract with Viacom. I cannot wait to watch and listen. Uh, Speaking of watching and listening, where can people tune into the show and how often can they catch a new episode? They can tune into the show on poplawpodcast.com and that'll take you right to the audio links. If you want to listen to it on Apple or Spotify, it is there. 
if you want to watch it, it'll take you right to the Pop Law YouTube channel. So that will be there. Episodes come out every Tuesday. And we are really excited about what's to come in the upcoming guests. And so, uh, of course, real-time updates will be available on Pop Law Podcast Instagram handle. Awesome. Outside of Pop Law, you are still so busy, and I'm sure you have a bunch of upcoming things and projects. What's on the horizon for you? Pop Law events. There will be a bunch of pop-up events um, across the country related to Pop Law and then just Black girls and young executives. So everyone should stay tuned for that. I'm really excited about what's in the works for that. Uh, Definitely, I will be contributing to different platforms as a speaker on television and commercials and anything related to revolt you can check me out being there we have our different events and everything coming on as well so i will be outside (laughs) awesome that's (laughs) exciting make sure to send me an invite if i can come (laughs) definitely you will be there some great stuff coming down the pipeline i'm really excited about how can people follow you and support you and keep an eye on everything that you're doing uh you can reach me personally at Desiree underscore Tally on Instagram and all things pop law related and business related pop law podcast on Instagram and pop law podcast on our website. Awesome. Desiree, this was amazing and you need to come back anytime <laughs> to chat with me. I am looking forward to tuning into the upcoming episodes of pop law and all the other exciting things you have going on, all the events, all the pop-ups, everything. Um, Thank you so much for everything you do and everything that you contribute to this space. Like I said in the beginning, it's so powerful and so needed and we need more of it. Uh, So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me and I'm excited for what's next. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Let's Talk Life. Desiree was incredible. I hope you enjoyed her as much as I did. And make sure to tune in, like, subscribe, follow all of the good stuff to Pop Law Podcast. I will link it below. And until next time, bye.